Welcome back to Gaze with Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families together. I'm your host, David Dodge, and also the executive editor of Gaze with Kids. And today we're going to be talking about a really important topic to us here at GWK, and one that I hope will become a bigger priority for the entire LGBTQ movement, and that is the foster care system, and very specifically older youth within that system who disproportionately identify as part of our community. So we're going to be talking about this issue with some folks from Foster Club, which is just an incredible organization devoted to improving the lives of current and former foster youth by um, by listening to them <laughs> and by working with them at, and advocating alongside them for the policies that they themselves have identified as ways to improve the system. So we'll be speaking with Angel Petit, the senior policy manager at Foster Club, as well as Izzy Moncada and Ernesto Olivares, two of Foster Club's lived experience leaders who were formerly in foster care themselves and are here to talk about what their unique experiences have taught them about uh, the best ways that we can be improving the system to make it better for future foster youth. So just some quick facts before I turn this over to them. There are over 400,000 children in foster care in the U.S. today, and of this number, 23,000 age out of the system each and every year when they each uh, reach an age between 18 and 21, depending on the state. So what this means is that young people can no longer rely on a system that is fed, clothed, and housed them for months, if not years, if not their whole life. Uh, as a result, many former foster youth have high rates of joblessness, homelessness, incarceration, drug use, and, and much more. And it's important to remember that all foster youth are placed in care due to no fault of their own. These are children who have uh, experienced some form of neglect and abuse from their biological or first families or, or, and were, were removed from those homes. So when children age out of the system without being adopted or without some form of ongoing care or support, it's fair to say that this really is a society-wide failure that we all need to be taking more seriously. But because so many of these youth identify as queer and trans, this is an LGBTQ issue specifically and one that our community needs to be taking more seriously. Um, we don't have great data yet on how many youth in the system identify as queer and trans, but we do know by speaking with advocates, foster care parents, and of course foster care youth themselves that they do disproportionately identify as LGBTQ. In New York, one study found 30% of youth identify as part of our community. Uh, and the reasons why the numbers are so high likely vary, but one reason is certainly because they continue to be rejected by their families and kicked out of their homes at uh, at a shocking rate. Uh, once they're in the system, queer and trans youth are also harder to place in foster care homes uh, and harder to uh, place in permanent adoptive homes, which is why they are so overrepresented among older foster youth as well. Um, and this is obviously all due to ongoing homophobia and transphobia. So while foster care is an incredibly important family building option for LGBTQ people, uh, and one that we are super excited to help people navigate at Gays with Kids, we have a ton of great resources at gayswithkids.com in our family building section for those interested in becoming foster care parents themselves. Um, but the truth is foster care is not cut out for uh, everyone, and that's totally fine. But there are still many ways that we can all be getting involved to help queer and trans youth with experience in the foster care system. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, so we'll, we'll cover some things that you can do even immediately, as in right after you finish listening to this podcast, hopefully, uh, or even during. I'm a, I'm a fan of podcast multitasking. So with, uh, with that, I'll get uh, off my uh, soapbox and we'll be, we'll be back in a second with uh, Foster Club after a short break. Angel, Ernesto, and Izzy from Foster Club, welcome to our podcast. Um, so why don't we just start, Angel, if you could give just a brief background on Foster Club, uh, when the organization was founded, and why, and uh, what you know, some of your main campaigns are about. That would be great, a great place to start. Sure, and thank you so much, David, for having us on. Really excited to be sharing with you and your audience today. Um, so Foster Club was started now um, just over 20 years ago and was actually founded by um, our executive director who was unexpectedly became a foster parent at the time. And as a foster parent received a whole book of resources, people to contact, you know, questions, um, FAQs, things you need to know as a foster parent within the system. And the young people that she was serving as foster parent for um, really didn't receive any of that information or any way to connect with folks who were going through similar experiences. And so um, she founded Foster Club and started as a website, a way to for young people who were in care to connect and to share experiences with each other and to really, really reduce that isolation. And so now, uh, a couple decades later, we've grown into 
an organization that um, is really working to do two different things. And so we're continuing to be that connection for young people in foster care um, and really to ensure that we have the opportunity to um, provide direct support to young people and to um, change the foster care system. Because while foster care, um, you know, we recognize foster care as a necessary social safety net, um, being in foster care is really, really challenging and difficult. And so um, we really want to um, do both of those things as the National Network for Young People in Foster Care. You know, the way that we do that is really through um, connecting young people with each other. You'll have a chance to hear from Ernesto and Izzy in just a moment. Um, and though, and young people have a chance to then educate their peers on what does it mean to go through the system? What are the things you want to think through? How do you get involved in your own experience in the system? How do you get involved in changing the system? And, um, you know, have the opportunity to just really um, then engage we call um, folks Lex leaders, lived experience leaders, in transforming that system because we know that the system as it sits today really lacks meaningful engagement of young people who are most affected by, by the system. Um, particularly on my team, we're really hoping to engage those Lex leaders in um, informing and educating the public and in changing policy and practice and transforming the system. Um, and specifically, one of the pieces we focused on for a long time is recognizing that LGBTQ and two-spirit young people in um, foster care, often when we talk about having a difficult time going through foster care, um, young people um, who identify as LGBTQ or two-spirit often have an incredibly difficult time. And that can shift depending on where you are and who's serving you. Um, and so we've really focused on bringing together the team that um, Izzy and Ernesto are serving on to help address some of those challenges. Amazing. Thank you um, for that background. We at uh, Gaysley Kids are huge fans of Foster Club, so it's, it's great to uh, hear a little bit more about um, what y'all are about and how you got started. Uh, but so, Ernesto, let's, uh, let's start with you. I'm wondering if you can um, just uh, give us a little bit of background as to how you got involved with uh, Foster Club um, and why it's so important for people to be hearing directly from people with lived experiences in the foster care program. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, David, for having us on your podcast. Um, so my name is Ernesto Olivares, and I spent five years in the Texas foster care system. And I first got involved with Foster Club back in 2014. I applied for their All-Star Internship, which is a program for youth with lived experience to join their organization and get training and just learn about some of the issues and be proactive on how to um, use their voice on, on these issues. I just did a lot of work with them in the last few years. And then back in 2018, I came back as a training and education specialist. Um, so I was training now the new all-star interns coming in. And a lot of the work that I've done with them has just been focused around um, LGBTQ and two-spirit equality and using my voice and my experiences as um, a gay man um, and how the foster care system treated me here in the state of Texas. And I think it's just important as a Lex leader, um, a lived experience um, leader, to um, open up my voice. Um, so during the Trump administration, I was fortunate to testify against the Trump administration about some of the inequalities that were happening and some of the waivers that he was passing um, during his term as president. And I think it's just important um, for people to understand that foster youth are, are already um, a very overrepresented population and if you even narrow it down the lgbtq and the two-spirit um, youth who are in foster care are really left out and uh, so much and i think it's important for me to use my voice foster club to use their platform to give us this opportunity to use our voice and um, spread that understanding and knowledge that there's so much that needs to be done um, during this time absolutely it really is pretty shocking to learn about um, when you start looking into the foster care system. This won't come as a surprise to anyone on this podcast, uh, but people um, who start looking into foster care, I mean, to, to understand just um, how overrepresented LGBTQ people, two-spirit people are in the foster care system is, uh, it is, it's, it's, it's shocking. So, it, you know, at Gays With Kids, we're all about trying to help uh, queer people, queer men in particular, that want to become parents. Uh, we help navigate the you know complicated processes around adoption and foster care and, and surrogacy. 
Uh, but something unique about um, people that are interested in forming their families through the foster care system is um, that it really is this this is part of our community, right? It's, a, it's a people in foster care. So many of them identify uh, within our community. And so it really is something it's, a, it's a, you know, in some respects, I feel like we have an obligation um, as queer people to be uh, doing something to try to improve the system because the numbers are so stark. They are so um, troubling. And so is these something that we talk a lot about uh, at Gays with Kids as we've started to learn more about it, thanks to the advocacy of, of groups like Foster Club is uh, the experience of older youth in the foster care system, many of whom end up aging out of the system to a, a place where they're not uh, having the same support that they uh, did uh, while they were still eligible to be um, in foster care. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about uh, the this problem of aging out in the system uh, and what that means for, uh, for you, what happens to youth that do age out of the um, system, uh, particularly for LGBTQ youth that are in the system, because again, they're so overrepresented, particularly in the older ages. Yeah, I can speak on that. Um... A lot of the time when aging out, we lose a lot of the services that we were getting and sometimes we aren't actually prepared to age out. And I feel like it causes a lot of... a lot of barriers within um, aging out of the system and after. Um, For example, I actually went homeless after aging out. Um, I had a job and they weren't paying me and I had to figure out how to function out of the system and I actually went homeless Um, and so that is not uncommon in the system Um, it's it's very common and there's other also obstacles and other things that we deal with that um, can cause a lot of problems Um, For LGBTQ youth, I feel like we are isolated sometimes in the system and we are, um, we don't get the services that we need. And so a lot of the outcomes aren't always um, the way we would like to see it when people are aging out of the system. Izzy, from from your perspective, um, why is it that LGBTQ and Two-Spirits youth are overrepresented in the foster care system? Um, I think a a lot of it is when the parents may not be accepting or other foster parents may not be accepting and I feel like there's overrepresentation because a lot of the time we're not sure where to put LGBTQ youth and they end up in the system. Right, absolutely. And so, and I've heard that this is one of the reasons why a lot of LGBTQ youth end up in group homes uh, because they end up being harder to um, adopt or place within the foster care system, which is also just, you know, truly uh, shocking <laughs> that we're not doing more to screen potential foster parents to be um, educated on these issues to be not just LGBT friendly, but inclusive and competent and to know how to uh, be, you know, to provide homes to uh, to queer youth. Angel, I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit more about, uh, from Foster Club's perspective, um, the services that need to be provided to, uh, let's talk on both ends of the spectrum, both uh, LGBTQ youth, older youth that are uh, still in care, um, and also uh, those that are aging out of care. Absolutely, David, and appreciate you recognizing kind of the spectrum of services because I think that's the um, that's the work and what we learn from our lived experience leaders is it can't just be that we're focusing in on one area, um, but that we're kind of looking at all of those different places where um, support can be provided to LGBTQ and two-spirit youth. And so I'll start on the early end of the spectrum. So um, you heard Izzy talk about, you know, parents who aren't accepting um, and maybe challenges with, um, you know, foster parents who aren't inclusive um, or don't have the training and and, um, understanding to really um, expand um, their support for LGBTQ and two-spirit youth. And so there's a lot of work around um, family acceptance and um, prevention of entry into the foster care system in the first place, that if we can provide some support and and um, training and capacity building for families that we may not have so many young people who need to enter the foster care system because of um, experiencing that rejection from their families. And so, you know, starting there, then let's reduce the number of young people, you know, safely, right? Safely reduce the number of young people who are coming into foster care. And then let's look at, um, we're also hearing, you know, what um, kind of support needs to be provided to young people while in care. And so, that's a lot of different things, um, but it starts, I think, with recruitment of foster parents and with broadening that door um, to ensure that we have 
foster parents who are representative of the diverse identities of young people in, in foster care and um, that we aren't turning away individuals and ensuring that they have opportunities to be that foster parent to young people. And in addition to um, not turning away that young people are a part of designing what that um, recruitment and what that training looks like for foster parents to help, um, you know, ensure that it is effective and, and really meeting those needs of young people. And then also providing opportunities for peer support um, while young people are in foster care. As I said earlier, foster care is isolating, as you heard from Ernesto and Izzy. There's a lot of barriers. There's not a, often a lot of opportunities for connection and to feel like you have someone who's going through a similar experience and can help you understand that and help you navigate that. And so building those opportunities is really important. And then finally, it's also permanency. We should not have young people aging out of foster care. Um, it's a failure of the system and it's it needs to be viewed as that. And we need to be doing a much more intensive job of engaging young people, particularly young people that we know are disproportionately right now aging out. We need to be doing a better job at looking at, okay, how are we addressing permanency and how are we engaging young people themselves in defining who are folks in their life that could be permanent connections? How are we increasing the pool of foster parents who can be those permanent connections as well? While we're focusing on that, we also need to make sure that we have services and support for young people who are aging out because while aging out shouldn't happen, it is happening today. And we need to make sure that we're providing, you know, supports and services to young people to help them transition successfully and to help make sure they have a support network that they can rely on once kind of the support network that's paid by the system is out of their life. You know, I think uh, like you were saying, it's a failure on all of our parts when anyone ages out of the foster care system, you know, and I'll call out the LGBTQ community more broadly too, that this is not like a prominent, uh, you know, issue that we're trying to tackle at the very forefront of our advocacy as queer people um, that, you know, homelessness is a queer issue, especially youth homelessness when it's uh, so overrepresented as he spoke a little bit about uh, their own experiences with uh, with homelessness. The foster care system is a queer rights issue and, and fixing um, the, the problems that exist within it. Aging out of foster care is a queer rights issue. So the fact that this is not just as front of mind in our advocacy efforts um, uh, as a movement is uh, disconcerting. And I do think that the more that people hear from uh, young leaders like Ernesto and Izzy, the more people will um, hopefully understand that within our community and, and beyond. Um, and so Izzy, I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about um, what your lived experience was like in the foster care system. Um, for our audience of, uh, of you know, uh, gay, bi, and trans dads and um, dads-to-be who might not be very familiar with it. Um, yeah, I was actually in the system for 21 years, uh, from five months old till I was 21. I moved to 16 different homes and went to 12 different schools. I was also in group homes. Um, I had a lot of depression and anxiety due to um, just stuff that was going on and also wanting to come out as an LGBTQ person and not sure how. And so because of my behavior, they put me in a group home. And so I aged out of a, um, I was in the group home from 12 to 18 years old and I aged out um, of the group home and then I went into um, extended foster care. And Ernesto, I'm wondering if there's anything you'd like to add about your own experience? Yes, absolutely. So I was placed in um, a shelter 180 miles north of San Antonio of my home city. And my sisters were placed um, like 80 miles the opposite direction, so south of San Antonio. Um, I was placed in the shelter with my brother for a couple of months, and then we were relocated back to San Antonio into a group home. Um, a group home is considered um, usually seven or more foster kids. In this case, there was 11 foster boys in this home um, with a mom and a, a foster mom and a foster dad. And the agency that they placed me with um, was very Christian. It was very religious. My parents were very religious people. And as I felt suppressed as a, as a gay young man to hide my feelings, to hide who I was as a person, I think being in Texas um, and then being in the neighborhood that I grew up in with my foster parents, you didn't see a lot of representation of people um, that identified as gay, lesbian, bi, trans, queer. And so it made it uncomfortable for me going to a Christian church um, usually twice a week and hearing what the Bible had to say, to hear what um, the pastor had to say, what my 
youth pastor had to say and it made me very uncomfortable it made me feel out of place I felt like I couldn't talk to my parents about it I couldn't talk to my foster brothers about it I felt like I couldn't talk to my therapist about it and there was an instance where I finally told my therapist like hey listen I'm getting bullied and in Texas they give you these um I'm trying to paint a visual picture here they give you these very very like bright blue bags duffel bags um they're given by the child welfare system um and it's i don't know usually you just see foster kids carrying these bright blue bags I and mean, it's kind of a way you identify us and you know, of course i wrote my name on it it's at ernesto um, and we were going on a family vacation one summer and somebody scratched it out um one of the kids and then they wrote faggot on it and it broke my heart i went to the restroom i cried didn't say anything went on vacation I ripped the tag off, I kept it, and the next week when we came back, I was talking to my therapist and I started crying. She's like, what's wrong? I told her the story, I told her that I didn't want my foster parents involved, that I just needed to get it out. She brought my parents involved anyways, and it made it super uncomfortable because my foster parents told me that I was lying, that it wasn't true. And you can see my handwriting of Ernesto, you can see the word faggot writing. There were two different writings, uh, handwritings, and um, from that moment, I think I was, I think I was like 15 years old. So I still had three more years before I aged out of this home and the system. And I just felt so uncomfortable. And I just felt like as I grew older and I aged out and I started doing all this advocating, like, I just wished, I wished for the love of my life that there was somebody I could have talked to. I wish there was a parent that I met that I'm like, can you figure out how to get me into your home? I just wanted to feel loved, accepted, safe be comfortable who I was. I didn't have these high school stories where you're like, oh, I had a boyfriend or I had a girlfriend and I had a summer fling. It wasn't possible for me because then everybody would have known that I didn't love you know, women, that I had an attraction to men. And I think that experience of foster care um, made it extremely difficult for me and being able to suppress all of my like feelings and my emotions. And what scared me the most is that I was placed with my brother in the same foster or same group home. and. I never in my life would think about wanting to be separated from him and that fear of not having him in my life scared me and my sisters luckily were placed uh, like half a mile down the street in another foster home so we went to the same high school and there was just too much to lose for me I'm like nobody in the foster care system has this kind of luck of having their siblings so close to them while being in the system and sibling connection coming from a Mexican background family Family is everything. And so I lost all of my family at 13 years old. And the only people that I had around me were my sisters and my brother. And I was not about to lose it. And I think it's important um, for our community to understand that, listen, we may have to go through a more difficult process to become foster adopt parents, but it's necessary so that people who have similar experiences like myself or Izzy can have that opportunity to have loving families just as some of these heterosexual kids do some of the younger kids you know i adoption wasn't a it wasn't an option for me no <laughs> nobody wants to adopt a 14 or 15 year old and and that's why i think this podcast is so important so that we can reach some of that population who um, maybe just needs that knowledge that information to understand what's really going on to grasp that these stories are real there's people going through this pain still and um i think it's just i think it's unfortunate but i'm very but i'm very like blessed to be able to use my voice and spread that understanding and experience so that people can you know um maybe look into being a foster adopt parent now i think you both so much for for sharing your experiences i do think it's important for people to uh, to hear these stories, to understand, you know, um, the coming out experience can be difficult for people in any different number of circumstances. Uh, but when you're also um, in foster care and can be actively punished <laughs> or uh, made to f feel afraid um, uh, that, you know, and being potentially separated from your uh, siblings, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a completely um, different issue. So uh, you, you both touched on so many different issues there. And I think something that's jumping out to me really is, um, the need for for training um, for foster parent for current foster parents. This is to me why it's so important. Why, like, like you're both saying, uh, I, I hope people hear this and are in, uh, inspired to um, to look into foster care if they're still looking to uh, for ways to form their family and to be open to the idea of opening their home to an older um, child within the foster care system because very likely they could be a part of our own community, right? Um, 
But, uh, and you know, there's um, a lot of different ways that people can get involved in the foster care system and helping out uh, short of actually adopting there. You can be mentors, you can get involved with groups like Foster Club. So uh, we can go through some of those options uh, a little bit later. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping uh, that um, you both can, uh, let's start with you, Izzy. Um, just talk about kind of what, what, you, what, do you, what do you think would have helped in terms of um, your experience in the foster care system if the professionals involved, the people um, that you interacted with um, had had better training? What would that look like? How, how could we make sure that the professionals of um, the uh, LGBTQ and two-spirit youth in the foster care system are interacting with are equipped to, um, to, to do it um, effectively? Yeah, um, I think a lot more therapy would have helped rather than just putting me in the group home. Um, trying to get to the root of the problem and trying to find solutions rather than just putting somewhere, someone somewhere where you think that they might get into less trouble. Um, I feel like good, like things that could have happened with the therapy the training um there was an organization called rise which is through the lgbt center of los angeles and they actually have a group that goes to foster homes or or homes and they support the youth and the family and try to build family connections so that they can build better connections and the family can know how to take care better take care of this youth and i feel like more organizations like that would be really amazing that's a great place to start so and ernesto same question um to you you know and it's 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 almost um i it's not a silly question but it's a difficult one i think to answer especially when you're describing um the circumstance when you're just you know surrounded in a very uh religious environment that you didn't feel safe coming out in so much of the foster care system is very steeped in um some religious elements that may have some lgbt anti-lgbtq history um, so we have a long way to go, I guess, is what I'm saying to make sure that, uh, you know, to me, you shouldn't get anywhere near the foster care system if you're not incredibly inclusive from the outset. We're a long ways from making that happen. But I guess what would have helped um, in your experience, do you think, uh, feel safer and more secure uh, at any step of your, your journey throughout the foster care system? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, we definitely have a long way to go. I think the biggest issue um, that we are seeing right now is just that acknowledging the fact that there is the problem. And for me, I think what have helped, what would have helped is that training that we all talk about. I don't think that anybody, my, at least from the professional standpoint, I don't think my therapist, foster parents, caseworkers, the agency workers, I don't think anybody um, was trying to, to harm me. Um, well, I can't say that fully, really. I don't think um, everybody's intention was to make me feel the way that they did. I think it was just the lack of knowledge and education on how to speak to a gay kid or a lesbian kid, whatever the, you know, whatever the case may be. I think the issue was that there was that lack of training and understanding that it is a real problem in the system. And I think at that, at that time, um, nobody was talking about it. I mean, it was, like I said, it was not heard of, especially here in Texas. You get out of a bigger city, it's definitely not heard about. Um, and so I think for me, I think the biggest difference it would have made is that if my foster parents understood, like, listen, we may have an inkling or we may have understanding that th he might be different. So let's sit down and make sure that he knows that we have his back 100%. Let us understand that, yes, we may go to a Christian church, but we still love him, we still care for him, and we still want him in our home. I think those words to a child could have changed it those words to me could have changed my life there were times where i thought about coming out there were times where i wanted to be like i'm gay and i wish that y'all would stop using harmful language in this house that made me feel suppressed there were so many times i wanted to tell them that to just be like stop using that you're hurting my feelings and, and i don't think that they were always intentionally doing it on purpose i think that they just didn't understand that the words that they were using were harming some of the kids in that home and i and, and like i said i as an advocate for it i've i testified against the trump administration and part of my testimony was saying if foster parents had that training maybe none of us would have to go through this and so i just hope that um in in the recent future hopefully soon that people start including this training including what lgbtq means what two-spirit means and equipping these parents with the things that they need to to be a loving and caring home and what that means on all spectrums of foster kids, not just a specific um, group of, of kids.
so we've already kind of identified that, you know, we should not ever be getting to the point where we're allowing children to age out of the system. And Angel, remind me, how many kids per year typically do um, age out of the system across the country? I'm forgetting the number off the Between top Between 18 to 20,000. It kind which of varies just, a little yeah, bit, which is... It's a um, shocking number of children that, um, that uh, young adults, really, that we have uh, long failed and, and then are doing very little for. So we've taught, we've kind of danced around, like, that that is obviously not a, a great thing to have happen. Um, Izzy's talked a little bit about um, the experience of uh, uh, having experienced homelessness coming up, but I'm, I'm wondering if you both can now also talk about, so, you know, again, we shouldn't let anyone get to this point, but um, but kids are at this point and then they're aging out um, every year. Um, so what can we be doing at this point uh, in um, the journey of a foster care youth um, to better support them um, as they do transition out of the foster care system um, what what kind of advice or what kind of what is Foster Club looking to try to uh, do for these youth? And why, why don't we start with you, Izzy? I think certain things that could help are more like life skill classes um, and like budgeting, um, learning how to cook, stuff like that. Um, but also, I feel like there has to be more of a more of a program of aging out rather than the social worker just meeting with you once a month and kind of doing paperwork to get ready to exit you out because I feel like for the last three months it's really just paperwork and it's not really talking about how we could lessen our anxiety or how we can get ready to age out like there's not a lot of support around it it's just paperwork and logistical stuff um, Ernesto anything you would add about um, ways that we could be better supporting youth as they uh, as they age out yeah, absolutely. I think um, when I aged out, so I the way I aged out was kind of um, unconventional. So uh, at least the process of it, I um, graduated high school at 17. And so when I started college, I was technically still a minor in the state's eyes. So I was going to college, but having to go back home to my foster um, home. And so it made things um, a little bit weird for me because there were still things I couldn't do, even though I was in college, even though I was already in that step. Um, I think for me, it would have Izzy hit on some great topics. I think I cannot express it enough. There's not enough life skills that are being taught for us. Not opening a bank account, doctor's appointment, dentist appointment, how to people don't know how to cook, how to grocery shop, how to budget, how to find an apartment, insurance, car. I feel like all of that is just so important. I had literally like about a year ago, I had to call my boss, my my general manager of the hotel that I was working for and ask him, can you show me how to go replace my sticker for my car? Because I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to go. I don't even know where to start. He's like, well, you have to go get an inspection first. I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. And so it's those little things that like, we are like, missing that much. But for me, after I aged out and, and I was in college, I was full-time work, full-time college, extracurricular activities um, in college. Um, and I think the lack of all of those necessities that we need on how to find housing and how to find an apartment, even as an adult, even though I was aged out and I was getting some help from the state, I still ended up homeless. I still ended up couch surfing. I still ended up sleeping in a park. I still ended up not having anywhere to go. And I don't have like, I don't have family that I can just rely on. I can't go to the, anybody and just be like, hey, can I borrow a hundred dollars? That was That wasn't an option for me. And so I think um, I think that's the big issue is just not having that support and not having an actual plan for these youth as they age out and what to expect from the world. Because once you're an adult, once you're on your own, it's it gets tough. People have their own things to worry about. And unfortunately, you're not on top of their list. You know, I think it's um, it's there's so many youth <laughs> that, uh, you know, when you're going, uh, you know, starting your your lives out as, as young adults. Um, you know, I know plenty that don't know how to cook or clean or, you know, do kind of or like set up bank accounts, but they, like you're saying, they have the support system uh, around them of, of, um, of uh, family members that, that can help them do that. If they screw something up, they have a fallback option of, of a family. So the, that's not available to so many of the youth in foster care. And I think you both just uh, very clearly said it, it's having someone um, in your life that can help um, provide that kind of guidance. Um, so, uh, Angel, I'm wondering if there's anything you can um, add to this conversation and, and just specifically what other kind of resources, uh, if you can give kind of a national perspective of what resources do exist um, to help uh, youth that are aging out of the foster care system and what more we should be doing. 
Absolutely, David. And I think that um, Izzy and Ernesto really hit on the, the critical pieces and especially what's been coming up for us in the polls of young people that we've been doing throughout this last year and a half throughout the pandemic in recognizing that the resources can be, but if they if a young person doesn't have the support system that they can rely on to help navigate those resources, to help fall back on when things fall through, when mistakes happen as they do for any young person who's transitioning into adulthood, um, that, that that is really the critical piece. And so there are, um, you know, in December of 2020, um, Congress provided a significant pandemic relief through the supporting foster youth and families through the pandemic act um, was bipartisan and um, really looking at providing some funding through the chafee and etv programs which are um, traditionally kind of those those programs that provide transition services to young people whether that's through um, support housing um, connecting to employment um, helping provide some funding for schooling um, and tuition or vocational um, opportunities that um, that funding was um, increased and um, ex the number of young people who were eligible was expanded um, really recognizing that there's um, uh, there was more to be done particularly to support young people um, during the pandemic and so um, some of those other pieces that um, Foster Club is working on, along with a number of other organizations, is also looking at making sure when we're talking through these transition services that we aren't losing the permanency and connections that you heard Izzy and Ernesto talk about, um, that we aren't just focused on, okay, what is the checklist? Um, like Izzy said, like the, how do we go down this list, list and, and check the boxes? Um, but that we're really making sure that young people have um, permanency and connections and that we're not giving up on that for young people um, as they're transitioning. And um, that we're also looking for ways for young people to be involved in designing what this looks like. Because who better um, than young people who are receiving that, who understand some of the um, challenges that they will encounter to be really designing what those supports should look like. Um, looking at can maintaining those sibling connections and keeping that normalcy and, and providing a more diverse pool of um, foster parents who can be inclusive, including partnering with faith communities who are willing, you know, who are ready and willing to be inclusive and to be supportive. And, um, you know, just ensuring that we're expanding beyond the paid support network that young people have traditionally when they're transitioning. We haven't even uh, touched yet on the impact of uh, COVID and the pandemic on uh, the foster care system and foster youth and foster youth that are recently out of the foster care system. Um, and so I'm wondering, um, Ernesto and Izzy, if you can uh, give a little bit of perspective as to what this time has been like um, for you and the importance of, uh, so uh, Angel mentioned the moratorium that was able to get passed to prevent people from aging out of the system during the pandemic. Um, uh, so I, I'm wondering, let's first just talk about like what your experiences were like, and then what we can talk a little bit more about the work that y'all are doing to try to um, to keep that in place and to get uh, additional funding for the system. Um, why don't we start with you, Izzy? Um, I mean, it's been an interesting time because I was homeless a year before COVID, um, and I've been homeless through COVID, and I'm just now getting housing. Um, so it was really interesting going through shelters and trying to stay healthy and safe and also just trying to navigate through everything. Um, being 24, um, I'm still a Tay youth, and so I still get services, but it was really hard to access services, um, especially because services were changing and um, no one was in the office, so it was a really interesting time. Ernesto, how about, how about for you? Yeah, and for me, I think my experience during COVID was very different. I, COVID definitely um, impacted me. Um, I am, let me just clarify, I am 31 years old now and so I didn't qualify for um, some of the benefits that were, or for any benefits that were released um, by the administration. Um, however, um, I did use um, the resources that I had. So before December started, or before December when the, uh, these benefits got passed, I um, w myself and a, a bunch of people um, that I work with created a relief fund um, and started raising money and started reaching out um, to people who needed assistance and needed help. And so for me, it was more of how can I start giving back to these young people who are struggling during the pandemic? Um, 
during a time where I was furloughed from my management position, um, a, a point where I started receiving unemployment benefits two months too late, lost my apartment, put everything in storage, moved in with my sister, and things got tough for me. Um, but I think what was most important is I had, a st I had a place to live. I still had a roof over my head. I had my sister's will always be here for me, thankfully. Um, but I, I, for me, it was just how can I assist the youth who really need it? How do I assist these young adults who are aging out or about to age out? How can I help them find the resources that they need, the benefits that they need so that they don't end up um, homeless or hungry um, or needing anything? Um, and so for me, um, I think it was super important that um, the Shafi memorandum was passed so that all of these youth could receive benefits. It's unfortunate that it ended September 30th and we are working to extend those benefits currently. Um, I have been involved with um, about 150 plus um, young leaders who have experienced foster care. Um, we've written a letter to the president and we have had a tweet storm and we are doing our best to try to get those benefits extended so that these youth who um, are being affected by the pandemic um, can receive the help that they actually need. Um, amazing. So yeah, let's 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 talk a little bit, Angel, about what um, you know to to kind of highlight this big victory that you all uh, or that we all the nation had last year in um, in passing this moratorium on uh, youth aging out of the foster care system, new funding for the system, um, and you know it really took a global pandemic to <laughs> to get us to take this issue seriously and to recognize that we couldn't be allowing. Uh, youth to be, you know, basically kicked out onto the street. I mean, we shouldn't be letting that happen at any point, but definitely, particularly not in an era of uh, social distancing, quarantining, and a, and a global um, uh, health pandemic. So it was a, a, a big victory last year. And so as uh, Ernesto just mentioned, the at least the moratorium aspect uh, expired on the 30th of September. So can you talk a little bit about um, what Foster Club is up to now, in, in addition to uh, your allies, to try to, to bring more attention back to this issue and, and what kind of uh, specific things you're hoping to get passed in uh, in the next little bit here. Definitely. As Ernesto talked about, there have been, um, you know, Foster Club has been um, connecting and mobilizing with our Lex leaders and Lex leaders have been mobilizing um, in really drawing attention to this and, and educating policymakers around this. So um, to be um, clear, a number of the provisions expired on September 30th, but there are um, and that was particularly serving um, some of the older young people um, above age 21 or 23, depending on the state, um, and also the, the moratorium on aging out um, and ability to re-enter and some of the flexibilities that allowed more young people to access the support. And so um, there are some young people, but a smaller pool of young people who can still access some of those supports. And, uh, you know, some of the work that... Um, we've really been doing is uh, connecting with members of Congress and really sharing what young people are experiencing, helping um, make the um, reality that young people are still uh, struggling and still um, facing significant challenges, as are millions of Americans. Um, and yet, um, young people who are uh, you know, exited foster care or, or will exit foster care um, are our responsibility because the um, government removed them from their families. It's important that our members of Congress understand that and we do have a lot of um, support and um, buy-in from both sides of the aisle um, and in, in the House and the Senate who are really recognizing um, and continue to recognize the, the needs that young people are facing and are working towards um, particularly looking to reinstate the moratorium, um, the reentry, and um, allowing us to serve um, older young people um, for an additional year. And um, that bill was introduced in the House, um, it's HR 5167, um, by the Congressional Caucus on Foster Youth Co-Chairs. Um, so uh, folks from, again, both sides of the aisle who do care about young people um, in foster care. And we're just really hoping to continue elevating those perspectives of young people, um, continuing to um, help uh, folks understand that this is needed and is needed critically. And um, so any way that, you know, if folks want to contact their member of Congress, um, happy to, I'll share the, the website with you. We have a fosterclub.com slash re-up chafee. 
a site that has some, some text, some information, some results from what we're hearing from lived experience leaders um, like Ernesto and Izzy and others who can um, really help connect to members of Congress and, and, and ensure that this stays a priority um, in the midst of others. It's uh, critically important. I, I think we've, our, uh, the young leaders here have helped make that um, perfectly clear. Um, that website, again, if you could give it one more time. It's fosterclub.com slash re, R-E, up, U-P, Chafee, C-H-A-F-E-E. Okay, so everyone definitely go at the very least do that. But so I'm wondering, uh, yeah, my, my hope is that people hearing this, um, uh, which again, our audience is uh, gay, bi, and trans dads and queer men who are interested in becoming dads one day. Um, so if they're, you know, sitting here listening to this, um, you know, maybe this is the first time they've heard that there's over 400,000 youth in foster care all across the country and that up to 20,000 of those youth are aging out of the system without um, supportive uh, uh, without the support they need as they're entering adulthood. Um, so Izzy, what would you say to people that are listening that um, might be inspired to help? I mean, obviously, definitely write your Congress people about the specific piece of legislation, but what other ways can people that are interested in, in helping um, youth in foster care, particularly queer youth in foster care, um, what, what else can they be doing? Um, I feel like there's a couple of things. I mean, we always need foster parents, and if people are open to becoming foster parents, that's an amazing thing um, that is always needed, but also mentorship. There's a lot of programs where you can become a mentor, um, get to know a youth. There's adoption days where they have mentors that you get to like meet a youth and just spend the day together. Um, there's just different events I feel like where you can connect with the youth and get to know a youth and build that connection because a lot of times we don't have those connections and I feel like having those connections and meeting people outside the group home and foster home really shows um, that there is a life out of the system. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm curious uh, specifically, Izzy, about um, your response to this question. So you and Ernesto have um, talked so um, uh, so uh, you know, deeply about what uh, it would have meant, I think, to um, have a uh, someone in your life at, at very vulnerable moments um, when you needed them. But so, if what would it have meant to you to to have uh, been able to be placed in a foster uh, care setting that was um, run by a, a LGBTQ person, um, or to have had a mentor from the LGBTQ uh, community at some point in in your uh, foster care experience? Um, I feel like it would have meant a lot. I had a mentor as I got older when I was above 18 years old um, through LifeWorks at the LGBT Center of Los Angeles. So I, I did have that, but as I got older. And I feel that that really... We had conversations that I wouldn't be able to have with other people um, about identity and sexual identity and just everything in general that um, is a little different for someone who identifies as non-binary. Um... We also, we would go out to eat. We just had some really good experiences that really helped um, help me learn how to communicate with people better um, and want people in my life because sometimes as we get older as foster youth, it's a little hard to communicate uh, because we're not always communicating with people that want to be in our life or um, choose to be in our life. Usually it's social workers and foster parents who are kind of in our life because they need to be, you know? Um, so I feel like having people that choose to be in our lives really makes a difference. And same question to you, Ernesto. What, if you could also respond to like, what would it have meant to have had a LGBTQ, or maybe maybe you did at some point, but to have had a LGBTQ mentor or foster parent or someone as a part of your foster care journey? Yeah, um, I think for, I mean, to start off, get involved in your community. I think that's an easy way to start reach out to child welfare agencies, reach out to organizations who are doing the work on the ground in your community, in your city, your town, and see how you can just involve yourself, get to know um, the processes of what's going on in your city, any issues, how you can, you know, write city council, or like you said, your representative, your senators, um, at, at the very least, it's, it's pretty simple just to make a call, be like, hey, I'm in support of this, this, I'm a constituent, um, do that, and I think that's a great way to start. That's uh, I do a lot of just work here, just reaching out to my local agencies like, hey, you have any events coming up that y'all need volunteers for, any help? 
um, any mentoring counseling that I can volunteer for it's just those small things um, as far for for me I feel that if I would have just had um, a mentor at the very least just to guide me through the feelings and emotions to speak to another gay man and be like I don't know what these feelings mean I don't know how to control um, my anger and my fear like how do I navigate myself as a young teen I think as Izzy said I was in the same situation I didn't find a mentor till I was in college and so I was able to navigate you know my life and coming out um, as a gay man um, during that time um, but I mean I can't even I can't even gather what it would have meant to have um, a foster parent or adoptive parent who understood what I was going through who understood my lifestyle that I wanted to live and to be able to help and guide me and love me and care for me and make me feel safe in an environment that I wanted to be in. I mean, I feel like if you go through anything that's similar to my story or Izzy's story or any other foster youth that's going through similar situations, um, I think you can understand that it means a lot as a child to have those supporting adults um, in your life and what that can mean and how it can actually change um, your perspective on life. I, um, I make this point a lot, but that, you know, you, there are a lot of different ways to, um, get involved in foster care and, and, and try to make a difference. We're not all able to become foster parents ourselves. I, I live in a tiny Manhattan studio apartment. <laughs> I will never get approved, um, to, to have a foster child in my home. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I can't be a mentor or that I can't be donating or that I can't be literally just getting involved and educated about these issues. Cause I, again, I think people, a lot of people, I know I was really surprised when I really started to dig into um, how overrepresented LGBTQ people are within the foster care system and just the ways, the many different ways that we're failing them. So um, I hope people listening, uh, if you are inspired to become a foster parent, that is obviously amazing, as I think you've heard from both Ernesto and Izzy. Um, and we are rolling out resources every day at gayswithkids.com uh, for ways that uh, we're trying to help um, encourage uh, people to um, to look at that as, as their path to parenthood. So definitely uh, go there, see the resources that we're laying out there. It involves some of the... Um, uh, some of the leaders at Foster Club and some of our resources, Angel, Ernesto, and Izzy, I can't thank you all enough for being here to talk with us today about this really important issue. I hope people learned a lot. I hope people are inspired to go to uh, that website and to write your legislator for that specific piece of legislation and to get involved in any way um, that you can. This is an issue that impacts our entire community and it's one that we all need to be taking very seriously. So thank the three of you for being here and I look forward to having you back on a future podcast. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Thank you.